Hi, I'm Angela. Hi, I'm Melissa. And we are the Book Girls. Hey there, book gang. Are you ready to take a reading challenge? I've got the perfect guides today. Book Girls Guide is a collaboration between two best friends, Angela and Melissa, who live in different states but share a lifetime love of books. Since 2019, Book Girls Guide has helped readers find their perfect book match. Each week, their site provides a new curated book list, which often includes backlist books that didn't get the attention that they deserve, which you know is a really important element of my podcast. In addition to these book recommendations, Book Girls Guide hosts several themed reading challenges. In each challenge, participants are encouraged to see the world from a new point of view every month. Are you new here? Welcome to the Book Gang Podcast. My name is Amy Allen Clark from MomAdvice.com. Book Gang is all about those debuts, under-the-radar book choices, and helping you expand your stack with backlist book selections. You are listening to Take a Reading Challenge for a Better Reading Year with Book Girls Guide. If you want to improve your reading habits by committing to reading in your first reading challenge, you're going to learn how in today's show. Angela and Melissa are sharing what they've learned from creating their challenge prompts and what advice they would give if you want to DIY a challenge of your own. I've asked them to bring their readers' favorite books for reading around the world and through the decades, so you're really going to love this book stack today. It is also another month of reading with our book club, and I really can't believe we are getting close to the end of our year. I'm frantically getting ready for our December announcement for our 2023 Mom Advice Book Club year. But as we are discussing reading challenges, I just have to put in a plug for our next book club book, as many of you have taken a challenge to read with me this year. This is a reader's choice selection, which means it was the most voted upon book to read together in our community for this year. Let me tell you about this book, which many readers already have been raving about. 17-year-old Lenny Peterson lives on the terminal ward at the Glasgow Princess Royal Hospital. Though the teenager has been told she is dying, she still has plenty of living to do. Joining the hospital's arts and crafts class, she meets the magnificent Margot, an 83-year-old purple pajama-wearing fruitcake-eating rebel who transforms Lenny in ways she never imagined. As their friendship blooms, a world of stories open for these unlikely companions who, between them, have been alive for 100 years. Delightfully funny and bittersweet, heartbreaking yet ultimately uplifting, the 100 years of Lenny and Margot reminds us of the preciousness of life as it considers the legacy we choose to leave, how we influence the lives of others even after we're gone, and the wonder of a friendship that transcends time. Join the Mom Advice Book Club for free on Facebook. This discussion will fall on November 18th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is falling on an unusual week due to the Thanksgiving weekend, so please mark your calendars. And if you like this podcast and want to show your love for my show, please join my bookish community. I really do need your support to continue funding my work. The Book Gang is a completely independent podcast that relies upon listeners to fund. I am really incredibly grateful for all the people that chip in $5 and help make my job possible. To learn more, head to patreon.com backslash momadvice. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com backslash momadvice. Just a quick reminder, everything that we talk about on each episode of Booking can be found in the link in our show notes. If you have space to leave a review or share the show, it does mean a lot to me. Okay, I think I've set this one up enough. Let's learn all about the world of reader challenges. Booking, I know this is going to be an exciting episode because we have the Book Girls Guide here to talk about reading challenges, which is something a lot of us do possibly annually and take a challenge, but they have more than just one annual challenge for you. And we are going to talk about what it's like to facilitate it, what lessons they've learned from leading, and maybe some tips and tricks for ways that we can incorporate it in our lives where it doesn't feel like homework. So welcome to the show, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us. I'm so happy to have you here. Well, I thought since we're talking about challenges, we could talk about maybe a personal challenge we've tried lately as our icebreaker today that's not reading related, which I know is hard for all of us, but I thought it might be fun to switch it up a little bit. And I'll go first since I'm springing this new question on you guys. 
I actually bought this journal. It's called the Intelligent Change Journal. Have you guys ever seen this? No. No. I think I got influenced once again by TikTok and I have been following this hashtag. It's Sunday Reset. So it's like things that you do every Sunday to try to like set your week really well. And I watched all of these influencers show me how they were using this journal in their everyday lives. It's a five-minute gratitude journal, but it's split into two sections. So the first half of the page is just dedicated to like setting some quick challenges for yourself, for your goals. And you also get to talk about the things that you're grateful for. But what I like about it is that at the end of the day, there is a second half on the page and it's where you have to reflect on your day, on the highlights of what you did. And it also incorporates um, some affirmations, which are a little bit woo-woo for me, but I kind of like this idea where I get to start my day in the right kind of mindset and then end my day by like looking like, did I actually do all the things that I talked about? And you have to say at the end of the day what the lesson is you've learned. Like we went to a Bare Naked Ladies concert and I learned that I'm too old to stay out after 10 o'clock anymore (laughs) and I needed an entire day to recover. So it's little things like that. And I do want to mention that if you have somebody who isn't really into journaling, I did buy one for my husband too, who's not exactly on board with us incorporating this, but I think it would be really good for him to end his day like that. So this book is called The Knock Knock, Okay, Fine, I'm Grateful Journal. And I'm (laughs) going to read you the paragraph on the front because it's so funny. It says, a journal to catapult me from my default position of griping and negativity to the long-resisted stance of counting my blessings because it turns out that focusing on the positive actually might be better for my mind, body, and spirit in no small part because unhappiness is the gap between expectation and reality. So even though this whole gratitude thing feels like a bandwagon on the woo-woo train, the fact is that deep down, I'm ready to start looking at the roses rather than the thorns. And if you absolutely force me to admit it, I will say that in all actuality, I do have so much to be grateful for. (laughs) So I'll link to those two journals because they have been really good for both of us. One of us begrudgingly enjoying this task and one of us really like enjoying it. So (laughs) what about you guys? I was just going to say that that uh, cover quote sounds like something we wrote because we uh, tend to write sentences that run on forever. So (laughs) I very much appreciate whoever chose to put that on the cover of the journal. Yep. I was thinking the same thing. Same. So, Um, So what would you guys suggest for a personal challenge that you've taken on that's been really beneficial to you? Me, it has been gardening. Apparently, you turn 40 and become obsessed with gardening. <laughs> so I've always been the person who can't even keep the weeds out of the front flower bed. So it, we had gotten to the point of scary disastrous. So we had finally decided to hire somebody, expand our patio in the backyard, like do all the things. They came in. Well, it took nine months to get somebody to the house to do it, like despite our best efforts and waving <laughs> money at people. Um, Just after COVID, they were so busy with everybody trying to make their outdoor spaces more beautiful. So we finally got somebody. Part of it went well. The planting part did not go well. But instead of trying to find somebody else, I just went like complete obsessive about it and started watching all the British gardening shows and the British gardening podcast and getting the magazines. And now... It has been a challenge both to get it all done because I have these ideas and then actually doing them takes more physical labor than I enjoy doing, (laughs) but then also a challenge to stop because I just want more. I need you at my house because I have a black thumb and everything is dead at our house uh, and all of it has been dying. And really, honestly, since the pandemic, it did not get better. It just got worse. So I understand why they might have a backup of trying to get somebody out there to do it. So I love that this is your new hobby. I'm really inspired by the shows. I just don't feel like leaning down and actually planning anything. But I really admire my neighbor's garden and she listens. So I just want to say I'm so glad that she plants things so that we can enjoy them because we certainly don't give her a very good view at our house. (laughs) What about you, Angela? I would say that my challenge this year for myself has been saying no to things. Mm -hmm. I am a recovering PTA president, 
and <laughs> have always basically said yes to anything that was ever asked of me, even if I had no time for it, which I never had enough time for all the things. And this year I have passed on all of the knowledge and I still help with more than enough, but I say no to a lot of things that I get asked to do. And I just have decided that I have other priorities that I also need to give attention to and that honestly, other people step up and that wouldn't have otherwise and take on those roles if you don't just automatically be the yes person for everything. So I feel like I'm benefiting me and everyone else who's getting the opportunity to help out the school and volunteer too. I love it. Well, I am definitely a people pleaser, so I can relate to that a lot. Do you have any like prepared statement that you use often or you just like do it on the fly when you decline opportunities? Really? I mean, I think part of it has been that Melissa and I have been much more intentional with Mm -hmm. our work time this year. We have set weekly meetings and things like that. So my default answer has just been, I'm really sorry, I have a meeting at that time. And a lot of times that's true, but sometimes it's, you know, I'm going to be working independently, but I can have a meeting with myself because I need to schedule time to get my own work done. So I've just said, I'm really sorry, I can't make it at that time. I have a meeting. I love it. That's very inspirational. It's something that I need to work on. So thank you for that encouragement. Well, I want to talk about your partnership because this is something that I'm curious about. How did you guys meet and how did all of this start at Book Girls Guide? Well, Melissa and I first met at a blogging conference, which I hear is also how you guys first met. (laughs) Yes. Um, So back in 2014, at that time, Uh, We were both running decor and organizing blogs. And so we went to a conference in Atlanta related to those blogs. We were both brand new at it Mm -hmm. at the time, didn't really know anyone else. And we had kind of made an online connection before the conference, but didn't like recognize each other, didn't know each other's last names, kind of, you know, bumped into each other in person at the conference and went, hey, I think I know you and started chatting, kept in touch after that couple months later, went to another conference where we decided to be roommates. And within the first day of conference number two, we were planning a vacation for our husbands to join us on a trip to New York. And so I think it's safe to say that we were fast friends. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then as far as turning into book girls, that was actually yet another blogging conference that we went to for our ad company. Angela flew to my home in Tulsa. She lives in Denver and we decided to road trip down to Austin. We thought that would just be a fun little side getaway before the conference. And we were eating at Joanna Gaines restaurant or rather sitting outside waiting an hour for a table to eat lunch at the restaurant. And Angela's like, you know, I keep thinking about doing something with books. And it went from that conversation at lunch to by the time we got to Austin, four hours later. Yeah. We had a name, we had bought the URL, we had secured all the social media handles, and we had a list of like 100 post ideas just from the car ride. Melissa was driving and I had my phone out and we were just like making lists. And we, by the time the conference ended, we had set up a logo, we had actually like set up a a rough outline of a website. A week later, we had our first post and we just like went all in. Mm. We kind of knew that if paused, it would get pushed to the side and we wouldn't do it. So we're like, we think we just need to jump in and go with this. And that was November of 2019, which turned out to be extremely fortuitous timing. I mean, none of us had any idea uh, what was coming for us. But when, you know, early 2020, everything shut down, so many people, I think, turned to books. And so even though we were brand new, we had we had launched our first challenge in 2020. Only a few people you know, found it at that point because we were so new. But the people who did find it really were telling us like, hey, this is kind of our lifeline right now while we're at home. And then everything grew from there. So I think we, of all the negative things that came of you know, quarantine and lockdown for book people, I think there was some upsides. For sure. And you guys were both solo entrepreneurs before. Yes. How has it been working with someone else? Like, how does that dynamic help facilitate, you know, the content that you're driving? And also, did you find, you know, I I know that you probably had a pretty firm grasp on what you were starting versus like when we started our blogs way back then, we didn't really have um, 
maybe maybe it was just me, but a lot of savviness as far as like, what's Google looking for? And how do I write for the internet? Like, have you found this particular challenge should be easier because you have that kind of knowledge base and and having that dynamic with two people? Definitely. I would say for, I'll take the second part of your question first, like the knowledge that we had coming into it, having run other blogs. I think for both of us, it was sort of like along the way you start a blog, along the way you learn all the right ways to do things, but you also learn that you've been doing most things the wrong way. And Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things, it's kind of too late to go back and fix everything. Like once you get a ways into it, it's like, oh, it's so overwhelming to try to go back and fix everything. So when we started this project, we sort of approached it from the standpoint of, okay, let's take everything that we've learned. Let's skip all the wrong stuff we did the last time. And let's just jump in with both feet and try to do as much the right way, like take the last six-ish years of knowledge that we have and just kind of start from scratch and see how quickly we can build something if we do all the right things. And it it worked shockingly. Shockingly. (laughs) And the other part of that about working with somebody else, for me, it's been a million times easier because I think we're both overachievers, but also procrastinators. Mm -hmm. That's We want to do all the things and be the best at all of the things, but we also like to do them at the last minute. So one, it helps just having that external person, like knowing, oh, I have to get this done today because we're both depending on it. Yeah. The accountability helps. Yes, for sure. A ton. And it's just more fun like when you can bounce ideas off somebody and they know what they're doing. And I think it wouldn't work with everybody, but we had known each other for six years and knew all strengths, weaknesses, and we approach most business things from the same perspective, I think. So it really helped. Like, I can't think of a time we've ever had like an actual argument Mm -mm. about anything. Never. Well, and the reality is that even before we started this project, we were kind of working in a partnership in a way. We were running these individual blogs that in reality are direct competitors with each other, but Mm -hmm. we would have weekly meetings and share information. And we would like talk through every business decision we made and, but in kind of an odd way, because like we're having these conversations knowing we're competitors, but we were helping each other with everything. So I think that it was almost refreshing to finally be like, Oh, we're just like working on the same thing. Like we can continue to work together, but it benefits both of us equally. So there's no, I mean, I don't know that there was ever awkwardness, but it's just nice to be like aligned perfectly on it. Like you don't want to be planning to do a post and then have the other person say, oh, I'm going to write this this week. And you're like, darn, then I probably won't because you actually said it out loud first. Right. And we didn't want to have that. Because we intentionally tried to minimize our competition, but sometimes that meant that one of us was sort of stepping back and not doing something we would have done otherwise. And now we can just be all in, you know, forward moving all the time without any of that. I love that. I, I want to say too, I, you know, not to get into the nitty gritty of things, but the technical aspect of writing a website, because I think launching a project in theory sounds like, oh, it'll be just so fun because we'll just do all these fun posts together. But if you are starting out on the right foot, like they're expressing right now, that means that all of that content takes hours and hours and hours more time than you probably think it does because you're trying to get those people to come in and setting that, you know, good footprint on a brand new space is hard to do, but it's also really exciting because you guys are starting right out of the gate with all of that knowledge base that you had been building for years and years. So that's why it's already such a successful site and so many people want to participate is because of the great content that you're providing and all of the work that you're doing at in the back end of things that people don't always see. So I I just want to reiterate that that takes a lot of work and it's really cool that you guys were able to partner together. Um, You know, blog conferences are great for meeting people. That is how Melissa and I met, which Angela did mention. Uh, We actually went to a craft conference together, the only one that I ever went to and probably ever would ever go to again. It just was not for me, but it was really fun. And I'm really thankful that I got to meet Melissa, which is how she's here today. So today I want to talk about your reading challenges. How did you guys develop the themes for your challenges? 
And I just want to hear a little bit about how all of that got started and what it takes to launch a challenge. So we had a couple of goals and some of it went back to us having that experience running websites before. We wanted something that benefited our readers first and foremost, because we know if we give them value, they'll come back, but also something that kind of they had an incentive to come back to our site again and again, not just pop in once and then forget about us. So we thought if we had something that had a continuous reading thread throughout the year, it would kind of be mutually beneficial to everybody. And then beyond that, we also wanted it to be something that would help readers step into someone else's shoes. There's so much negativity in the world and othering of people, and we just wanted something that would help readers see the world in a different way. But on top of that, we also wanted it to be fun, flexible, low stress, not something where they feel like they were doing homework by this reading challenge. Absolutely. So we, I think the first two challenges that we did, both were ideas that we came up with on that initial drive to Austin, Texas. So we had um, some big ideas right from the start and they panned out, which has been great. And then, you know, from there, we've been brainstorming so many more ideas. But the first, uh, the very first challenge we started with, which was in 2020, was the Decades Reading Challenge. And the challenge there was to read a book set in a different decade every month. So January, you're reading a book set in the 1910s. February, 1920s, working your way up all the way through the 2010s. And then the next year, we really wanted something that captured that same journey type of concept of starting at one place and really seeing broad perspective. And so for the second year, we added the book voyage reading challenge. And the challenge there is to read a book set in a different region every month. So we start in Antarctica in January, and we don't do it just uh, continents exactly, because there's only seven of those, and we wanted it to fill 12 months. So we kind of broke it down into regions. We have Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Northern Asia, etc., Um, And that was just so much fun. We had so many more people join us for that challenge. And we got so much great feedback from people about how much they learned and how much they really loved taking sort of a global trip, especially in a year where people weren't vacationing a whole lot. It was a great way to armchair travel uh, when we couldn't travel otherwise and to go to places that you might not ever choose to visit or have the opportunity to visit otherwise. And then for 2022, the newest challenge that we've been doing this year is the Lifetime of Reading Challenge. And the challenge there is to read a book about a different generation, a a different age group every month. So starting with adult books that have children protagonists and then teenagers, uh, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, we're coming into uh, the 90s and 100-year-old characters right Mm -hmm. now. So it's been a really fun year and we have readers in our group of all different ages and it's been fascinating to see the conversations that they have about how they're sort of understanding each other better, understanding other people in their lives better as they read about people at different places in life. And a lot of people saying they understand their parents better, which Mm -hmm. has been something we didn't think about, but really Mm -hmm. interesting. And it's been different ages along that way too, Mm -hmm. of saying, wow, I feel like I understand my parents better. Yeah, 20-year-olds saying I understand my 50-something parents better. 40 and 50-year-olds saying yeah. I understand my, you know, older parents better. So it's been really fun to see how the challenges have truly benefited people in that way. I and love then, how reading yeah. creates empathy for, you know, other people. That's one of the best things about books and reading is how it facilitates that kind of compassion for other people when you get to step in their shoes or read a story from someone else's age group, which is not even something I would really think about. Although I have been more and more attracted to books in that 80 to 90 year old range of characters. I don't know. There's something very endearing about it, something very sweet. It makes you a little reflective on your years you're in right now. So I really love that. Um, Then the other aspect of when we were trying to plan and develop was thinking about what challenges people had with other reading challenges that had currently existed because we wanted to do something different to kind of stand out. So we wanted to make sure our readers weren't spending tons of time researching books, that they had more actual reading time. So if we could take that burden from them, give them a list, 
a very diverse list as far as genre and character background and just hit as many different aspects within that theme as we could. Um, So we provide this list of books. They can choose from them or choose something else. But providing that is a little bit different than what we see in other challenges. Yeah, I had had an experience. I've always been drawn to challenges. I like something where I get to like check boxes and be like, I finished all these things. Mm -hmm. So I had done a reading challenge through a local bookstore and I enjoyed it in some ways. And in other ways, I felt like it was just adding a lot of work for me that I didn't have time for. One in one of the assignments in particular that stands out to me was to read a book by an author with your same initials which didn't sound particularly hard. I was like, okay, I'll just go find an author who has the initials AR. Well, it turns out that apparently there aren't very many people with those initials, or at least not that I could find. I spent hours. I told Melissa I was looking. I think she spent a couple hours. (laughs) At the end, I finally found a book that I was sort of interested in reading. And I read this book to check the box that I'd finished this challenge. And I looked back and I was like, I spent so much time searching out this book. And then at the end of the day, read a book that I really wasn't interested in. I just read it for the sake of reading it. And that's what we wanted to avoid. We wanted to give people a reading challenge that allowed them to read things that they would be really interested in, you know, to have this continuous thread of reading about different decades or locations, but to pick a book that fits a genre you're interested in or a topic within that theme that really speaks to you or interests you and to help them have a starting point, when we put our book lists together, they typically have 20 to 25 titles on them for each challenge theme. So that's a really good starting point. You know, you may still look at the list and say, oh, there's this other book I've heard about I'd rather read. But if you don't have time to go research or you don't already have another book in mind, we're giving you that starting point so that you don't have to spend hours searching for a book just for the sake of the challenge. And also, if you're in a really hard season that you're not cornered into reading some like nonfiction or deep literary fiction, like there will be rom-coms on our list set in Southern Asia or absolutely. I think we maybe even found one for Africa. Finally trying to, we did. Um, So we tried to give an option of like, if you want to like go all in on the educational aspect, there's nonfiction books on every list or deep literary fiction, fiction, things like that. But then also if you just want a light mystery, Here's a solidly rated one that we think you're going to like that will still transport you to that location or the decade. So the flexibility for the challenge to meet you wherever you are in that month and that you're never cornered. That can change from month to month. Now, are these books that you guys have already read or you just do the hunting and the gathering? Both. Yeah, both. We always start every time we're sitting down to write a list. We start by going through our own bookshelves. Uh, going back through our Goodreads shelves and kind of pulling together all the books that we've loved that fit the theme. So we start there and then we start just doing research. And when we're researching, we try to go beyond just like the bestseller titles, beyond the new releases. We really, I know you love backlist books. We try Mm -hmm. to dig really deep into researching backlist books and find titles that will really add something to the list, whether it's adding a different perspective on the theme, adding, you know, a, just a different way of looking at it, a different genre, so that we create really well-balanced, diverse lists. But we do a lot of research. We will, like, spend hours reading reviews on a book to make sure that we think that it's going to sort of fulfill the goal of putting it on the list and that it's mm-hmm. something that our readers will really like. And then we also kind of outline for them if it's something particular that we don't think is for everyone, we'll say here's kind of, we don't write it as pros and cons, but essentially like, look, if you really love a quick plot and action, you probably don't want to pick this one. It's super character driven, slow burn. If that's your thing, it's great. So we kind of do the research into that too and help them fine tune their reading style and which ones they'll like. Yeah. So within our book list, we don't just give them a list of here's 20, 25 titles go, you know, obviously you can go do additional research as a lot of us readers like to do before we pick books. But we start with a pretty meaty synopsis that we try to research really well. And then we also add this little section at the end of most of our uh, book synopsis where we say the book girls say, and we'll add additional notes about like, 
this is who we think is really going to love this book or know this before you go into the book. This may deal with some hard topics that maybe you're not in the mood for right now, or you don't want to be caught off guard by these topics if it's not the right time for you to read this book. We try to give people a lot of information because our goal is for people to read books that they really love. We don't want them to be reading a book just for the sake of reading a book for our challenge. We want them to feel like they picked the right book and got a lot of value out of it at the end of the month, at the end of the year-long challenge. How do you guys plan and develop your challenges? Are you already, like, I know you guys are already planning your next one. What all is going into your minds when you're thinking about what you want to pursue for your next challenge? So like Melissa mentioned, I live in Denver. Melissa lives in Tulsa. We are actually together in Denver this week because this is our week of planning our 2023 challenge. So the first three challenges, I think we had the ideas for sort of far in advance. Like we knew these are the first three we want to do. This year, it was a little more challenging narrowing down like what's going to be the new What's going to be the new challenge that will live up to the first three that we've done in terms of taking people on a journey and having this common thread, but still having books that appeal to everyone. And so the first thing that we did back in the spring or the summer, we did a reader survey. So we asked our readers to tell us, you know, what they liked and what they didn't like about the challenges they'd already participated in, what their favorite genres were, what kinds of books they currently like to read, what they'd like to read more of. And we even asked them for suggestions of what types of themes they would like to see. And then we really dug deep into that data and started pulling out some of the common elements and what we thought we could put together for next year that would appeal to as many people as possible while still meeting all the goals that we set out. And we're not ready to announce our 2023 challenge topic yet. We're going to announce it on December 1st, but we have settled on it and we are like in work mode all week this week, putting together all of the sort of the outline of how the challenge will function, as well as starting to dig into the first month's book list so that we'll be prepared on December 1st when we announce the new challenge to also give people the first book list. Perfect. Well, you know, what has been something that you have learned doesn't work in a challenge? Because I know that we're talking about lots of things that really, really work for your readers. But I also have done reading challenges before where there are pressure points that don't necessarily work. And I'm sure that you guys have learned some lessons from leading these challenges. We did. Um, The biggest one has been with the book voyage because we kind of started in Antarctica and then we're working our way around the map. But what that did was put people in Eastern Europe and Russia and then immediately followed by Northern Asia, which is a lot of... Um, North Korea and just really heavy books that are important for people to read and they like reading, but we were losing people because they were like, I can't read another depressing book. Like I just read a depressing book. And then this year, right about trying to think how the timing worked. Well, so yeah. So last year we got feedback from people like, oh, that was a lot of depressing reading right back to back. And there were And at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was early in the year. It was, I think, I think it fell in like March and April. And we heard that, but I don't think that we had looked and realized how many people we lost in the challenge. We just tried to be encouraging and be like, oh, there's sort of happier books coming. And, but we didn't realize how many people we lost that just said, I can't continue with this challenge because it's a little too heavy. Yeah. This year, we really looked at that and went, oh, we need to change something. Yeah. And then we also made a last minute change. Yeah. We yeah we kind of made the last minute decision while people were reading books set in Eastern Europe. They thought that a couple of days later, we were going to be sending them the book list for Northern Asia. And that was the point at which we realized how many people we had lost in the challenge the year before. So we switched things And it up. was also right when Russia was invading Ukraine. Oh, it was. That was the, the other bigger oh. problem is we know what's going on in the world. Mm. And we're all mm-hmm. horrified and depressed about it. So we can't send you to another depressing mm-hmm. place. So we always send out our new book lists on the 20th of each month. So I think it was like the 18th or yeah. something. She and I are like, oh, what we've got to figure out something to do here. So when we send out our email with the new book list on the 20th, we told people, last minute, we're switching things up on you. We're sending everyone on a beach vacation. And so we rearranged the order of the regions of the Book Voyage map and said, in April, we're reading books set on islands. And then we'll come back in another month 
and we'll read the book set in Northern Asia, but we're all taking a little vacation. And of course, within that island list, there were still deeper books. There were still World War II historical fiction. There was still a lot of options. If you didn't want to read a light, fluffy book, you didn't have to. But we were sort of giving people permission to just step back and take a break. Yeah. And we've seen a lot better retention in the challenge this year because I think people just really needed, not only needed a break, but needed permission to take that break. I think that's something we try to focus on anytime anybody mentions like, oh, I feel behind. We're like, no, no, this is fun. Like there's no behind. Please don't put that pressure on yourself. If you want to skip a month, skip a month and catch up. Like just meet us wherever we are next month. And then it's up to you. You can go back. You don't have to go back. Like it's just a fun internet thing. We try really hard to make it less stressful. Absolutely. That's our goal. Yeah, I definitely can echo that just from a book club standpoint. One of the reasons why I started vetting the books that we were doing and actually reading them was because sometimes like, obviously we all know this, the the buzz or the reviews look different than what people actually went in to read. And I also was running into that challenge where a lot of the literature ended up being really depressing because those are, you know, honestly, they end up being very compelling book club books. And, sure. I, and I understand that. But at the same time, when things are happening in the world, particularly when the pandemic was happening, it's like nobody wants to be immersed in more sad right now. And we could never have predicted. Obviously, we're when I announce them, I've already picked them for the entire year. So sometimes it's like one of those things where the timing just goes off the rails and there's really not very much you can do at that point. But I think that this year I am trying very hard to have a hard and then a hug and like a hard and a hug. And I think that those kinds of things, like if you can't sit in the hard, just know there's a hug coming at some point. Um, And so I think that framework of what you're talking about, of being able to be a little more fluid with your decisions, like the fact that you rerouted everyone to the beach is a really good example of even when people are maybe making their own personal challenges, that you have options. Like you don't have to be held to rigid rigid standards or keep everything the same just because you are trying to check boxes. So I think that's really reassuring to other people. And I think from leading things, you you have to make those kinds of discoveries. And while your leaders can't always predict what's going to happen in the world and how your literature is going to fit into it, you do the best you can and you are okay with people opting out when things get hard in their own life. They shouldn't have to power through. Literature should never be homework. Um, It should be something that we all love and escape into. So I think this is really good advice. Well, I wanted to also just kind of ask you how readers can get started if they would like to join their the challenge, because I know that you are planning your next one for December 1st. So if someone is joining now, what does that look like for that person? Yes. So if anybody joins us right now while they're listening, you're welcome to join us for the last two months of the challenge. We have a Facebook group where you can come and see what everybody's reading and what they're enjoying. You're also welcome to um, start on December 1st when we launch our 2023 challenge. You'll have the option next year to go through that new 2023 challenge and then any of the older ones as well. We never take them away. The book list are still there. We keep saying that we're going to stop updating some of the older book list, but I don't think it's in our personality to stop because we keep finding new great books. So behind the scenes, we just have a database of thousands and thousands of books linked by genre and different things that we found. So... So if someone wants to join us, the easiest thing to do is to join our email list because that's where we'll make the announcement of the new challenge on December 1st and have all of the information about exactly how to participate. And the easiest way to join the email list is just to go to bookgirlsguide.com slash email. And there's a sign up form right there. We send out a weekly email. Um, It does include challenge related content every week, but we also write a lot of other book list. So if you're not jumping into a challenge right away, or you're not even sure a challenge is for you, there's a lot of other content uh, for all book lovers on our weekly emails as well. But that's the best way to just stay up to date and get the the new challenge uh, information as soon as it's available. And then like Melissa mentioned, we also have a Facebook group, which is Read with the Book Girls. 
and we share all the same information there. The challenge with Facebook, as you know, and probably all of your listeners know, is just that the Facebook algorithm doesn't always show you everything. Uh, But we will have all the new challenge information posted there on December 1st as well. Now, is everything free to your readers or do you have a paid community as well? It is absolutely free, any of the challenges. Um, We do have a completely and totally optional $5 a month buy me a coffee page, which our readers actually suggested, um, which was amazing. (laughs) It was in their, at their request in a Facebook thread one day when they realized that we have a lot of expenses and have a lot of time. They're like, well, you should do this. And we're like, oh, okay. So we set it up that day. So if you, if you love what we're doing and you want to give us $5 a month or something like that, we did create that option, but it's 100% optional and everything we do is always free and will remain that way. Absolutely. I love it. Well, I'm excited because I asked Melissa and Angela to bring five of their readers' favorite books and a corresponding challenge that we could participate in with the, with the book selections. So I would love to hear your first book that you recommend for our readers. Absolutely. This one is special to me. And it made me, I read it long before we started Book Girls. We put it on the Middle East list. And when it came back as one of the highest rated books throughout the year, it just made me happy because I think everyone should read it. It is called A Hope More Powerful Than the Sea by Melissa Fleming. It fits in our Middle East Book Voyage Challenge. And the author of this book works for the UN, and she goes to war zones, refugee camps to give voices to all of the people who are experiencing these terrible things and having to leave their homes. So the time she spent with one particular Syrian refugee um, named Doa turned into a TED Talk, and then that was so successful it turned into this book. But yet it's still not as well known as it should be. So the book covers... My favorite part of it, I think, is that it starts before the invasion of Syria. So you see this character, well, not a character, it's a real person, it's nonfiction, how much she really loves her home. She doesn't want to leave. She doesn't want to be a refugee. And it's their story of trying to stay at home as long as they can until Mm -hmm. it gets to the point that they have no choice. So from that point, you go on this treacherous journey through other countries, paying people to take them across oceans. And it gives just a brand new perspective to what's happening with refugees. For each of these books, we also pulled a quote. We have our readers, they can log with us which book they read, whether they liked it or not, which helps us decide which books stay on the list if anything need to be removed. So our quote about this book is from a reader, Jennifer. Reading this book really educated me about what many Syrians went through, the courage they had to make a better life for their families, and I'm sure it only touches on a little bit of their full story. Mm. So helping people, again, put themselves in someone else's shoes just makes us so happy. I love that. That's a really timely selection, and I had not heard of it before. So I'm really excited that you brought this one to the show. We love Under the Radar books here, so hopefully people will pick that one up. Perfect. The second book that we picked is actually a new release, but it's one that we really haven't seen a lot of talk about anywhere outside of our group. And so we wanted to share it with you. The timing of its release was perfect because the main character is a 64-year-old man, and it was released right before the month in our lifetime of reading challenge when we were going to be reading books about 60-something characters. So We actually, Melissa, I think, read it as soon as it was released. She loved it, immediately told me, like, you have to read this book. So we put it on the list, and we were amazed at how many of our readers chose it for that month and how everyone had the same reaction that Melissa initially did. Everyone just loved it. So the book is called The Secret Life of Albert Entwistle by Matt Cain. We chose it for the Lifetime of Reading Challenge characters in their 60s. It's a very heartwarming book, uh, one that'll give you, you know, happy tears and warm and fuzzy feelings. Albert is a 64-year-old postal worker in the UK. He receives a letter in the mail telling him that he's going to be forced to retire on his 65th birthday, which is upcoming. And he's, I don't know that I would say he's curmudgeonly per se. He's just very reserved. He really has never, he's worked at the same place his entire life, but he's never made friends with his coworkers. He's had the same postal route forever, but he's never really chatted with anyone that he delivers to. He just very much keeps to himself. 
But he sort of has this realization that if I'm forced to retire when I turn 65, I'm going to be very lonely. And he starts thinking, like, I, I might need to change something about the way I'm doing this. And that sort of takes him on a little bit of an internal journey of thinking back about relationships he's had in the past. And really, the only romantic relationship that Albert has ever had was 50 years in the past when he was in his late teens. And he starts thinking about this man named George that he had this relationship with and, and why they parted ways. And he decides, I need to go find where George is and I need to try to reconnect. But he's only able to do that through the help of some new friends that he's able to make, which is something that he's sort of spent his whole life avoiding. But he opens himself up to some new friendships and they help him on his journey to try to find George. All right. Uh, I'm going to admit it. This is a book club book for 2023. <laughs> I just finished this book and absolutely loved it. And I will say too, just to kind of add to the conversation, this is a great one on audiobook. If you're looking for an audiobook, the audiobook narrator is excellent. But also the author, if you look him up, he has one of the most jaw-dropping, like, author bios I've ever read. He's an activist. He's done so many incredible things. His life is just incredible. Like the the projects, the things that he's written for, he has like a very extensive bio that's worth looking up if you really enjoy the book. The author in general just seems like somebody that would be an excellent person to talk to. I hope he'll participate in the author interview series that we host, but I just want to also reiterate that this book is excellent. And I agree. I, it's heartwarming. It's beautiful. It's a great like love story, like unrequited love um, for those that like that. And I won't say any more because I don't want to give anything away, but I love the cast of characters. It's, it's a little bit like found family too, where everyone is trying to help Albert as he, he comes into his own and he's trying to make these big revelations and everyone's kind of like, yeah, we kind of thought, or we guess that maybe that's, that's what your life was like. And I, I just love that. And I thought it was such a great pick. So I'm glad you brought this one to the show. So our third pick is The Magnificent Lives of Marjorie Post. It's by Allison Pataki, and we read it for our Lifetime of Reading Challenge, where one of the months we do a character that is aging throughout the book. So instead of just being in one decade of life, we're seeing their progression of life. And in this particular case, it covers her entire life from childhood in the 1890s all the way through the 1970s. So her family was struggling when she was little. Her dad had an illness and ended up going to this sanatorium where part of the treatment was a very specific diet. And from that, he decided he could take that diet but make it taste better. And he turned it into grape nut cereal. So this is obviously a historical fiction based yes. on, a, on a true person. On a true person. So Marjorie Post was the heir of the Post family of brands. So she started working with her dad, gluing his little cereal boxes together, and she always had a really extreme work ethic. So even after the family rose to this wealth and like crazy wealth, she never wanted to just sit at home and entertain people, which is what was expected of her. She wanted to be on the board of directors, even though that was completely unheard of for a woman to be on the board of directors. She wanted to do charity work. So she just had this life that it's crazy there hasn't been a movie about her that nobody knows about her. She ended up in Russia as a diplomat with one of her husbands. There was running from Nazis on a boat involved. She personally was serving the homeless during the Depression. And then along the way, you also see her four different marriages and all of the real estate that she bought. She kind of had a passion for developing these giant properties. And she was the person who built Mar-a-Lago. That was her home. So readers really liked that the book included a lot of U.S. history and that you were learning things, but it was all told in a very page-turning novel format. And one of our readers said that they had no idea that Marjorie Merriweather Post existed, but now that they do, they're, they want to go visit all the places that she called home and continue learning more about her. So we thought that was a really telling quote, that they finished this whole book about one person and they're just hungry for more. I actually read this one. I 
this is what I will say about it. I loved the elements of her when it was exploring like the relationship with her father. I loved seeing how innovative she was. In particular, one of the things that really stood out to me about her entire career was the fact that at the time when she, you know, started running post serial, they were trying to add more brands under that umbrella. And mm-hmm. one of those brands was Bird's Eye. But the reason why it is like such a forward thinking thing to do was that people didn't actually have ice boxes or freezers. And she was one of those people that thought, hey, you know what? Homemakers need easy, accessible ingredients that they can put together and having, you know, uh, fish and things like frozen vegetables would be helpful to consumers. And she really kind of drove, I guess, the appliance industry because of some of the things that she did. I loved all of the like backstory with her. I loved seeing like how all of that developed. I was not as invested in her romantic relationships. So yeah. I will just say that. And I wish that in some ways it would have kind of been more of a backdrop hum, you know, than it being such a focal point because she was really the most interesting thing about the entire story. And if you are curious about her, it's a really great beginning like intro to it. And I had so much fun looking things up on Wikipedia and finding articles. I mean, Mar-a-Lago being, you know, a property that's been quite famous in the headlines lately. And I had no idea the connection between her and this legacy that she had built. Um, So I just want to say that those elements to me were really, really exciting. And as someone who loves to learn about innovative um, females that are doing really cool things, she was way ahead of her time. Yeah, we totally agree. The fourth book that we wanted to share is actually the only one of the five that Melissa and I have not read ourselves. This was an example of a book that we came across. We did a lot of research on it, felt confident it was something our readers would love, but we just didn't have the time to read it yet. And when we looked back at the feedback we got from our readers, it was very clear that it quickly rose to the to their favorites list. So the book is The Incredible Winston Brown by Sean Dietrich. And our readers read it for the Lifetime of Reading Challenge about characters in their 50s. So Winston is a 50-something. There are a lot of other wonderful characters in the book of all different ages, but readers said that it really is at its core a book about Winston. So this one is a mixture of mystery, drama, and heart wrapped up in a small town story. It's a novel that's set in the 1950s in Florida, and Winston is a sheriff. His daily activities involve Um, a lot of gossip and drama among the town's quirky residents. And one day he meets this 10-year-old girl who appears to be mute. She arrives in the town um, right at the same time that Sheriff Brown receives some terrible health news of his own. So the town tries to do the right thing and take this girl in and help her, but they have no idea where she came from. And then two suspicious strangers show up in town looking for her, And while Winston is trying to get to the bottom of the girl's origins, he's also trying to keep his own secret from everyone in town. Our readers told us that they especially loved the audiobook and that the narrator of this book was phenomenal. So there was a quote from one of our readers that I wanted to share. The reader said, oh my gosh, I thought that I couldn't find another book that I loved as much as my last read, but you found me another one. This book touched on everything I've lived in my life, small towns, holding space for a loved one with a terminal illness, young love, old love. It was such a great book. So it has obviously moved quickly to the top yeah. of, of our, you know, want to read lists, but definitely a reader favorite. At one point, that one was available for free on Prime. We'll link to it. So it may end up going back into the catalog because sometimes they come back and recirculate. But I ended up grabbing it because you know, I could get it through the Prime Lending Library. So I have it on my Kindle, mainly because of your website. And I saw that that was on some challenges and some lists that you guys had. And so I'm excited to read it and had had reserved a copy for myself. Perfect. 
So our last book, we cheated, and it's two books by one author because we couldn't pick them, and both of them are probably the most mentioned in Facebook. So we looked mm-hmm. at the ratings behind the scenes, but also thought about what we're seeing come up a lot. It's a more well-known author, but these books have been read a lot less than her older ones at Ruta Sepetis. So the two books are Fountains of Silence and I Must Betray You. Both of the books have teenage main characters and they're living through aspects of world history that as like everyday Americans, we don't usually associate with the decades these books are set in. So in Fountains of Silence, you're learning about Franco's dictatorship in 1950s Spain, but it's through the eyes of a boy who's from Texas. He's a photographer. His dad has gone to Spain because they're trying to bring in some outside money and get some American money over to Spain. So his dad lets him come with us with him, but he ends up meeting some new friends and kind of learning that what he expected to find in Spain was not what was really happening there. Despite being YA titles that Ruta writes, her books are very, I don't know that dense is the right word, but they're very in-depth. They really give you a deep look at the topics she writes about. Sometimes YA books can kind of float along the surface and her books really take you deeper into them. Fountains of Silence is 500 pages long, but some of our readers noted that they really loved that it was broken down into very short chapters. So you could get through this dense book in just like a few minutes of free time here and there. And then one of our readers about that said it was such an engaging story and helped fill the major gap in my knowledge of the Spanish Civil War and life in Spain under Franco. So that was, again, anytime they tell us that they learned something, we get all giddy and excited. I actually haven't read these two. I own them, but I haven't read them. But I did like, is it Salt? What is it? Salt to the Sea? Salt to the Sea was one of her earlier ones. And that has been read. And I don't think either one of us have actually read that one. But we had picked up these that are getting less attention, but they're really good. Phenomenal. So the second one by Ruta that we wanted to mention is I Must Betray You. And this one people have probably heard a little bit more about because it was a new release this year. Um, But the reason that I think it really stood out to us and to our readers so much is because it's set in 1989. And as we said, we've got readers of all different ages in our group, but we're both children of the 80s. And so reading this book like really shifted our perspective when we're researching books for the decades reading challenge of books set in the 80s. Our mind, of course, goes to all this like 80s American nostalgia. And so to read this book set in 1989 Romania and to realize like while we were kids growing up, not paying attention to what was happening on the news, there was all this other stuff happening in the world that we somehow were oblivious to. And even some of our readers who were adults in the 80s have written to us and said, man, I spent the 80s so busy raising my family and I wasn't watching the news that much. I had no idea this happened in my lifetime. So I Must Betray You, again, it's told through the eyes of teenage characters uh, living in Romania in 1989. Uh, Much of Eastern Europe had already started to break free from communism by 1989, but Romanians were still suffering under a really tyrannical dictator. And as the citizens started sort of protesting for peace and getting little glimpses of the fact that what they were dealing with was not what their neighbors and surrounding countries were still dealing with, um, these characters in the book are struggling with what they want, but also struggling with who can they trust? Because you may think that someone is your friend, but it may turn out that they're actually an informant to the police or somehow otherwise involved in some of the terrible things that are happening. So you really see through the eyes of these teenagers, the struggle of who to trust, how to help, how to make progress forward in these really difficult situations. And one of our readers quotes was, Ruta Sepetis never fails to draw in the reader. I listened to this during the initial invasion of Ukraine, very timely. You've heard of Nadia Comaneci and Bella Caroli. Now find out what it was that they were fleeing from. Mm, I am excited to read this. I do own it. Again, I own a lot of books that I have not read, but this sounds really, really good. And I love all of the books that you brought to today's show because everyone can walk away and learn something. There's lots to love in the stack. And I hope that everyone will connect with Book Girls Guide. We will have a link in our show notes 
I also would love for you to share your Instagram handle so that if people want to connect with you more, that they can find you there too. On Instagram, we're at read with the book girls. Perfect. Well, I have asked these two to join me over on Patreon for our bonus show. That is where we get to dive into their own personal stacks. These are sometimes reader stacks that we get to talk about on the main show, but this is their own personal stacks and we get to put them through our little game show challenge. So if you want to join the Patreon community, it's really easy. You can check the show notes or you can go to patreon.com backslash mom advice. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash mom advice. It's just $5 and you get to help a small business. Thank you, ladies. Thanks so much for having us.